Welcome to the campus of the University of Kentucky. I'm Shannon Cogan from Wave 3 News in Louisville. And I'm Bill Bryant from WKYT in Lexington. And we're so glad you are joining us. We, along with the seven other gray television stations who serve Kentucky, are very proud to be part of the Kentucky debate. And working with the League of Women Voters and the University of Kentucky. and each candidate will have 60 seconds to answer. And the other candidate will be able to respond and there could be some rebuttal. So we'll have a good time tonight. A drawing was determined, uh, the order of the answers and who will give, be giving the first response tonight. We received a lot of suggested questions and rather than do opening statements and so forth, we're gonna jump right into those questions. Let's do that. And the first one goes to Mr. Bashir. Rising pension costs have been an issue since the last governor's race. Kentucky has one of the worst pension situations in the nation, uh, an estimated $37 billion in unfunded liabilities. There have been some reforms. What would your plan be going forward? A pension is a promise. It's a promise we made to our most trusted public servants that while we don't pay them enough, if they spend decades teaching our kids, protecting our communities, serving the neglected, that we would make it up with a stable retirement. That wasn't just a promise, we passed it into law and we made it a contract that was inviolable. But this governor broke that contract and tried to illegally cut the pensions and retirements of over 200,000 public servants. I was honored to stand up to him and stop him and to make sure we defeated that sewer bill 7-0 in front of the Supreme Court. Now, this governor's solution is to push those costs onto cities and counties that are responding by trying to raise local taxes. I believe that we have to create new additional revenue dedicated solely to our pension system. It starts with expanded gaming where we could realize up to $550 million a year that we would dedicate solely to pensions. It continues with medicinal marijuana which would generate revenue and provide uh, pain reduction to so many folks out there. We stop giving tax incentives to companies that don't pay a living wage and we eliminate uh, some tax incentives. Mr. Bevin, your response. I will say this, we've been kicking this can down the road for 25 years. Everybody in here knows it. Everybody who's a retiree knows it. It was kicked down the can, most particularly during the previous administration where another guy named Bashir not only never failed, never fully funded the pension, but some years didn't even put in half of the actuarially required contribution. I am the only governor in the history of this state to fully fund it, and the only way to save the system is to structurally change it for future employees and to make sure that the state, by law, requires future governors and legislatures to fund it, not making it optional as it was for the last 25 years. A quick uh, response uh, from Mr. Bashir. Well, not only did this governor try to illegally cut the retirements of our teachers, police officers, social workers, and firefighters, he stuck it in a sewer bill. That tells you what he thinks about us and that we need much better out of our governor's office. Let me say one real thing in response to that. Number one, legislators are the ones who pass bills. They decide what gets stuck in what. Your complete incompetence as it relates to understanding the legislative process is a little bit concerning for a guy who wants to be the governor. Audience, please. We'll move on to the next question. Okay. This next question comes from a student here at the University of Kentucky. Since the start of the recession in 2008, overall state funding for higher education in Kentucky has declined 
by more than a third, leading to increases in tuition. The cost of higher education has become prohibitive for many young students. What will you do to assure a well-educated workforce and citizenry for Kentucky? And Mr. Bevan, we'll begin with you. Every single thing that we want, whether it's higher education, whether it's roads, whether it's textbooks in our classrooms, whether it's equipment for law enforcement, whatever it is that we want government to do comes out of your pocket. Every single dollar we want government to put into higher education is money that those of you in this audience and those of you that are watching this pay out of your tax dollars. At the end of the day, we only can spend what we have. The question is, what can we do to ensure that we get people ready for the workforce, which was what was implied in this? We need to make sure that we prepare people for jobs that actually exist. Let's focus our energies. Let's do what I have done in the last three years while I've been governor, is move to outcomes-based funding so that we get a better bang for the buck for the dollars that we do invest. Everyone, myself included, would love to have more dollars to put into things, but every dollar we put into higher education is a dollar that's going to come from what? K through 12, roads, bridges. The bottom line is we have a finite amount of it. It's incumbent upon us to be good stewards of it, to make sure that we train young people for jobs that truly exist. Thank you, Mr. Bashir. I believe in higher education, and it is a key to achieving the American dream. I got to see that firsthand. You know, my dad was a poor preacher's kid in western Kentucky. His dad was able to, to put him through the University of Kentucky right here. He went on and paid his way through law school and ultimately became the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and that ought to be possible for every Kentucky child. I don't just believe in higher education, I'm willing to fight for it. You know, 90 days into my term as AG, this governor illegally cut the budgets of all of our universities and community colleges. But I stood up to him, we won, we returned $18 million where it belonged, and we showed this governor we would not be bullied. Not by him, not by anybody else. Okay. I just say this. If, if you have to brag about how poor your father and grandfather were, that's a bit of a stretch. But let me say this. In all seriousness, let me tell you something. We ask you, audience, please, please. The it's going to be a long night if we want to do that. I'm just going to say this. It is critical that we do not make promises that we do not have the money to back up. And it's easy to sit here and blow smoke, but we have to be able to pay for the things that we want the taxpayers to cover. Follow up. Uh, he's right. If you go back a couple generations, my family does not come from money. And I'm fighting for people who don't come from money. Everybody should have a real chance. We do want to ask the audience once again to please refrain from applauding or from making any other sounds because we're trying to get to as many questions as possible important to all of you. All right, let's move to the next question. And this, by the way, uh, came uh, from a student at the University of uh, Kentucky. Uh, in the past few years, uh, colleges have seen a decline in the number of students applying to become teachers. Many school districts now report they're having difficulty in finding qualified teachers to fill positions. What would you do to encourage and support more students to pursue careers in education, Mr. Bashir? I believe in public education, and I'm a product of Fayette County's public schools right here in Lexington. Would not be where I am today but for my teachers and would not be the person that I am but for my teachers. I believe in public education so much I selected Jacqueline Coleman, a teacher, as my running mate. She's going to be the first active educator since Martha Lane Collins to serve as lieutenant governor, and it's about time. 
What we are going to do is end the bullying against our teachers we have seen the last four years. Then we're going to provide a $2,000 across-the-board raise that nobody's given our teachers. They have more than earned it. We're going to address this teacher shortage where we have year-round subs teaching our kids in areas that are so critical to building into the next year and the next year. And we are going to have an education-first budget where we always take care of public education first, where we shrink our class sizes, provide technology to our kids that need it, and ensure our educators have the tools where they're not doing more with less every year. They're just doing more. Mr. Bevan, your response. You love education, public education, so much that your kids go to private school. Is that right? You're attacking I mean, my kids now? No, I'm not. I'm just saying you're a fraud. And last year, when people, last year, when people decided to call in sick and close down schools, many with less than 24 hours notice, and many children were left unattended, and unless they had parents that could stay home with them, as my four children who were in public school, while your children were in private school, were affected by this. My point is this, we do need to take public education seriously, we truly do, and we need to fund it. But I'll tell you what, you're promising pay raises, you're promising increased funding, this is called Andy Candy, and you're gonna hear a lot of it over the next hour, I can promise you. Your response, quick. Well, I'm not surprised that Governor Bevin's attacking my kids because he's been attacking the, children, the kids attacking all over Kentucky for the last four years. You're a fraud. He's attacked our teachers, called them names, called them selfish and thugs. They are wonderful, and they are doing amazing work. My kids got an opportunity everyone should have to go to preschool, and we fell in love with that school, so they're continuing, but just next week, my son is taking the test to go to a public middle school, and we are proud of it. I support my kids, and I'd never attack yours. Okay, let's move on to our next question, please, candidates. Audience, please, you. you're taking time. Let's move ahead. Many Kentuckians pay more than $6,000 a year for infant child care. That is more than half the average cost of college tuition. In addition, 50% of Kentuckians live in areas where child care is not available. What will you do to make quality child care and preschool more accessible and affordable? Mr. Bevan, we'll begin with you. Again, 100% of what we need in this state, 100% of what we want, we have to pay for. So every dollar that we put into providing more money for pre-K uh, child care and pre-K schooling is dollars that are not going to come from something else. Do we want to take it from our highways? Do we want to take it from our K through 12, from post-secondary? Do we want to take it from law enforcement? The question is, what are we going to do to provide more? The only solution, the only solution to everything that we want is to have more people living in Kentucky, working, which we have record levels of now like never before, and paying taxes. There is no other solution. There's no amount of gambling or pot smoking or promises or Andy candy that can be given to you all that's going to cover this. The bottom line is we need more taxpayers, more people here working, and we have record low unemployment, record levels of people working, record revenue right now, and we've already cut taxes 17% in the last four years while doing the things that I just mentioned. That is the only solution going forward. Mr. Bashir. I'm running for governor for all of our Kentucky families, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Eastern, Western, Northern, and Central Kentucky. But when we say we're going to be an administration and fight for all families, we've got to mean it. And we've got to fight for the lost, the lonely, and the left behind. And our children that do not have an opportunity to go to preschool are left behind. 
when they show up to kindergarten not having uh, that, that extra time and ability to compete with other kids, so often they don't catch up. We have to start moving towards universal pre-K where everyone has true opportunity, and I'm gonna move us in that direction. We'll move on. The next uh, question is this. Kentucky has only one remaining abortion clinic and tough restrictions have been passed uh, by the state legislature. What is the state's role when it comes to abortion? We begin with Mr. Bashir. Well, I support Roe versus Wade, but I also support the reasonable restrictions it allows, especially on late-term procedures. But this governor is an extremist. He supports a total ban even for victims of rape and incest, something the president doesn't support, nor does his attorney general candidate support. I work every day as attorney general with victims of human trafficking, those that have been harmed and violated multiple times a day for years before we rescue them. I believe that those people deserve options. This governor would leave them none. Mr. Bevan. You know who else needs an option? Those people who can't speak for themselves. The role of government, the role of government, the role of government is to protect the weak against the strong, the minority against the majority, the voiceless against those that have the bully pulpit. And it is the responsibility of government to defend the defenseless, and that includes the unborn. I'm unapologetically pro-life, unapologetically supportive of the unborn. I will not take money, nor am I supported by Planned Parenthood, as is the pro-abortion opponent that I face. He also is supported by NARAL, people who demand abortion right up until the time of birth. And I think it is critical that you understand in this race you have a governor that will stand for life or a candidate for governor that stands for abortion. It's as simple as that. Well, Mr. let's Chair, be quick. clear. This governor supports a total ban even for victims of rape and incest. Folks, I know a human trafficking survivor that was kept in a box that was burned and was trafficked to multiple people every day. I know a, a, a woman who, as a young child, was raped by her grandfather. People deserve options when they've been through this trauma. The total ban that Governor Bevin supports would leave them without those options. This is critical enough, it's worth the response. Let me say this, there is not one of us, not one person on planet Earth, neither of the two of us nor anyone here, who has the right to decide when an innocent person should die based on some circumstance beyond that individual's control. Nobody. Okay, once again, we want to ask question. the audience, please, to not, excuse me, we have a lot of questions to get to and we have a short time. So whenever we have to stop for applause or other sounds, we're wasting time. One way, and this is a, another question from a student, one way in which you both differ is on the issue of the Medicaid expansion. Describe who you think will benefit most from your plan and how will it impact those of us who plan to be the future healthcare providers. And again, this is from a UK student and Mr. Bevan will begin with you. I'm not sure quite what the question is. I will say this though, I am a strong proponent of able-bodied working aged men and women who do not have dependents and have the capability of going to work to go to work in exchange for that which is provided for them by people who do go to work. I'm the only one on this stage that grew up without any health care. I grew up well below the poverty level. The first time in my life I ever had access to health care coverage of any kind. 
I was in my 20s. I was an active duty army officer serving this nation in uniform. I don't just speak about it with sympathy. I'm empathetic to the fact because I understand it. I've lived there. It was how I spent the first half of my life. I also know that it is an amazing degree of bigotry that allows people to assume that someone like myself had no opportunity, needed to be babied, needed to be put in a, in a position where I was given things as opposed to opportunity and an expectation that I seize that. My thoughts as it relates to expanded Medicaid, the question is to ensure that Medicaid is available for those who need it and the medically frail and women with children and those that are disabled do not lose out because people like me are taking something that was never intended for them. Mr. Bashir. I believe health care is a basic human right and that everybody should be able to take their parents or their kids to see a doctor when they're sick. Uh, I, I believe that health care is important because of the woman I met at the Dairy Queen uh, leaving Harlan a couple years ago. She previously managed the McDonald's where she could get health insurance, but when that closed, she couldn't pick up enough shifts. She's working every single day out of choice, and she's on expanded Medicaid. Governor Bevin's plan will rip 95,000 people off health care that have it for the very first time, and I think that's wrong. And his plan is going to cost $272 million of our taxpayer dollars. That's twice as much as four other states that are trying this put together. And where they did this in Arkansas, the vast majority of people who lost their coverage were already working. This is red tape. This is paperwork, and it is intended to tear health care away from people. I will always stand up against that, and I'm going to rescind that Medicaid waiver in my first week of office. Let me see. Mr. Bevin. Number one, number, you're going to rescind something that hasn't even been granted yet. Again, you have no clue what you're even talking about. This is tied up in federal court. But here's what's important to understand. You made several comments about things being ripped away from people. This isn't about people being having anything ripped away from them. What I've proposed is that people work and or volunteer and or go to school or be in training or take care of someone in exchange. And this is, for the woman you just described, mission accomplished. She's already meeting the requirement. It wouldn't affect her one bit. And as it relates to the $272 million, again, neither you or the people who wrote your comments bothered to read the report. It doesn't cost $272 million. Mr. Bashir. Let me make something clear. Yeah. It, costs, it costs absolutely up to that. Critical. It has cost That's $100 Mr. million. Dollars. Mr. Bashir. Healthcare is absolutely critical. It's about a woman that we used to go to church with, my wife and I, that came on Christmas Eve this last year. She had had multiple pre-existing conditions, and she had not been able to secure coverage for so long. After federal health care reform and the expansion of Medicaid, she was able to get coverage. And on Christmas Eve, which was her last night on earth, she came to church because that's where she wanted to be and stopped and talked to me about she had four extra years to spend with her family and people around her that she would not have otherwise had. That's worth fighting for. Well, it comes as no surprise to us that uh, there are sparks on the questions of health care because we got a lot of questions as we were uh, putting this together from uh, the, the people across the state and from students as well. So our next question is a student question and is it along uh, those lines as well. As students at the University of Kentucky, we have seen and have studied about unequal access to health care, particularly for people who live in poverty. What plans do you have to reduce this inequality in access to care? Mr. Bashir, your first responder. Well, because I believe that health care is that basic human right, uh, federal health care reform and the expansion of Medicaid was absolutely critical. We had 400,000 people that got health care for the first time in a state of just 4.5 million people. And here's what most people don't know. 
The last 10,000 kids finally got signed up for coverage for KCHIP because we got their families signed up for some form of coverage. With the, with the current lawsuit that threatens the very future of expanded Medicaid, rural health care is on the line. The two pillars of our rural communities, our public schools and our rural hospitals, are under attack by this governor. I'm going to rescind that Medicaid waiver, which is going to keep our rural hospitals open, to make sure that you don't have to drive two hours or two and a half hours just to see a doctor. Everybody should be able to get the health care coverage they need in their hometowns, and that rural hospital is really important to areas like my dad's from in western Kentucky and Hopkins County. Mr. Bevin, your response. Again, I'm the only one on the stage who has actually lived this life. I understand this life. I know what it's like to not have health care. I know what it's like to set broken bones and, and patch up things that should be stitched. This is the world that I come from. I know that it is a form of bigotry to assume that such people cannot do for themselves. It's easy to say that health care is a right, but the reality is it's one that costs money and that someone then is forced to pay for. You cannot force a person to be a doctor. The whole point of having health coverage and access is to produce a better health outcome, not simply, and it's important to make sure we truly have a minute, it is important to make sure that we get better health outcomes and not simply the fact that you have coverage. And this commentary about pre-existing conditions, nothing that I have ever proposed would in any way, shape, or form cost anybody this. I am the only one on this stage that has ever not had health care because of a pre-existing condition. Me and my entire family for a year and a half, just eight years ago, had no health care because of a pre-existing uh, condition. Uh, I understand this situation. Quick Go response, Mr. Bashir. Governor Bevan just the other day said we should go back to how pre-existing conditions were treated before federal health reform. He never said that. They did not. They weren't never able to even that. get coverage. He supports what are called AHPs, where you could go to the doctor, learn you have a chronic disease, but it's not covered. They could give you a prescription for it so that you could maintain your lifestyle, but they'll, you'll find out that prescriptions aren't covered. Your kids may get a, uh, you know, the flu on the way home in the car, but pediatrics isn't covered. You might get home and find out that you're expecting a child, but maternity is not covered. Time. This governor supports health care that doesn't cover anybody's basic needs. This, these are scare tactics and lies. Nothing I have ever proposed offers any of these things that he's saying. You currently are not denied, nor is anything I've ever proposed, nor do AHPs by law, as proposed by the Department of Labor. They do not allow by law the ability for pre-existing conditions to be uh, applied to people. So everything that you're threatening is not true. And the things that you're saying I said are not True. AHPs don't have to cover Stop pediatrics, lying, maternity. They don't have to cover chronic disease management. Okay, candidates. They don't have Not to true. cover anything you actually we're need gonna, healthcare we're gonna, coverage we're gonna follow, for. We're going to follow the rules here and, sure. move, and move on to our next question. But a good discussion yes, on healthcare. Yes, absolutely. Kentucky is the, <laughs> Kentucky it, is the is only state in the nation whose services for persons with serious mental illness have consistently received a grade of F on report cards issued by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So as governor, how would you raise those grades to at least a passing mark, Mr. Bevan? The same way that we've been doing it on other fronts. When I came into office, we were getting Ds and Fs in just about everything, from our infrastructure to our health care to our education to the way in which we address bent behavioral health. We could do a whole lot better. We know that. It's nobody's fault individually, but collectively, we have a responsibility. When I was elected, we spent less than 1% of all Medicaid dollars on behavioral health. 
One of the things that we've done very intentionally through our cabinet is make sure that we look at what is the root cause of people that are incarcerated, people that are addicted, and what we see increasingly in homelessness as well is that the root cause of these things is in fact behavioral health issues, mental health issues. We as a nation have a big problem here as we have turned increasing numbers of people out onto the street and we don't have programs. It is important for us to recognize that we need to address the root cause of people in terms of their homelessness and addiction and their incarceration for violating the law. And where there is a need for behavioral health, we need to spend a fraction of what we're spending to incarcerate people to intercede early on and help people with this issue. It's something we've been doing like never before in the history of Kentucky for the last four Mr. years. Mr. Bashir. As Attorney General, I've been fighting for the future of health care reform. That includes not only fighting to ensure there's coverage for pre-existing conditions, but also fighting for the reform that makes people treat mental health as physical health and to truly cover mental health. That is at risk. It's at risk based by the battle by our, our, our federal government and this governor, but we're gonna win that battle. And I support passing a state law that makes sure that we always treat mental health the same way that we do physical health. We have plans out on andybashir.com that address mental health where it is needed the most, and that's our schools. Our kids are coming to school with more trauma than we have ever seen. It's based not only on this drug epidemic, but other things that are going on at home because of this drug epidemic. And it makes learning for those children so difficult. Our plan works to, to create a nurse in each and every school, and it provides telehealth help for our veterans that are out there that so often are in crisis situations and may not make it to a VA uh, in time to get the help that they need. Thank Go to andybashir.com, you'll see our plans. Thank you, Mr. Bashir. I'll simply say this, all these things cost money. We all, we agree, this I'll say, we probably are in as much agreement on as anything. We are not spending enough money here. We do need to spend more money here. It does affect our schools, it affects our prisons, it affects law enforcement and our social workers that interact with people on the streets and in their homes. But at the end of the day, where is the money gonna come from and what do we have to give up in exchange for these dollars. We are spending more than we ever have before, but it is coming at the expense of other things. This is called financial reality. Quick follow-up, Mr. Bashir. Budgets are about priorities, and you fund what matters to you the most. Public education and our children matter to me the most. We are gonna fund nurses in those schools. We're gonna fund the raises that our teachers so desperately deserve. We're gonna invest in our children first because it's the very best investment we can make. Thank you. This next question has been debated among Kentuckians from border to border, and now it has come to this stage. Do you support legalizing marijuana, medical or recreational? Uh, I support legalizing medicinal marijuana, and I did not get here lightly. You know, I'm the Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I'm its top law enforcement official. But in my lawsuits against opioid manufacturers, and I've sued more of them than any other attorney general in this country, I believe we're gonna prove that opioids don't work for long-term pain. So what are we doing? We are filling up people's medicine cabinets with highly addictive substances that don't ultimately help them with chronic pain, but they do cause addiction in their family members and in their friends. I believe it is time to legalize medicinal marijuana, but we've gotta do it responsibly. And having served as your Attorney General these last four years, I believe I'm the person that can do it. Mr. Bevan, your response. 
Four years ago on this stage, I said the very same thing, and I was the only one on the stage saying it, and I've continued to say it. I'm a strong proponent of us legalizing medical marijuana. I think it should be a tool in the toolkit that doctors have. It should be prescribed, and it should be regulated like every other drug. Where we disagree is I don't think it should be taxed as a way to make money for the state. It should be no more taxed than any other drug. That's cruel and inhumane. I lost a 14-year-old nephew here in Kentucky to cancer, and his last months were horrific. And the things that he had to take to alleviate some of his pain were killing him nearly as fast as the cancer itself. This isn't something I come at lightly either. I will say this with respect to the commentary about suing opioid makers. There has been one case you've ever been involved in in your life that involved a settlement with an opioid producer, and you were the one you and your law firm defended Purdue Pharma against Kentucky, and every other law firm that you've ever sued, every other pharma maker you've sued, you've gotten zero in four years. Zero for the people of Kentucky. Zero. Mr. Bashir, quick response. Yeah, I wasn't involved in the Purdue Pharma settlement. Wasn't, even at, the, wasn't even at the law firm at that time and didn't participate in, in any way on, on the AG side. But let me tell you Not this. True. This is an attempt to distract you from the fact that Matt Bevin is for the opioid companies. He went to the AARP and said Big Pharma gets a bad rap. He called these types of lawsuits shakedowns in 2015, and tomorrow he's going to be at a fundraiser in Washington, D.C. with the lobbyist for, for uh, one of the largest opioid distributors in the country. They're called McKesson. That's somebody who's in bed with those companies. I will say this. No, these are such absolute remarkable lies. And the fact that I do not stand up to this, while you have brought in zero to the people of Kentucky, and you've brought a whole lot of smoke and a whole lot of noise, you were a partner at the law firm that represented Purdue Pharma against Kentucky, and for you to say otherwise is a lie. It is true. You profited from it, and you refused to say otherwise on the record or off the record. And it is important to understand that while you have brought in zero, I've brought in more than $100 million. I've put more to fight this crisis than every governor in this state before me combined. All right, time. We're going to move on. Coal companies are required by state law to post bonds to cover the cost for employees if they go out of business. But there is no mechanism in place to assure all companies comply. So what will you do as governor to protect miners like those at Black Jewel? Mr. Bevan? I think it's important to make sure we close these loopholes. The reality is you're right. There is nothing that requires it. It is, it is supposed to happen when they open business here, they're supposed to post a bond, there is no mechanism to enforce this or know whether or not they have even done so. When was that law passed? You'll hear all sorts of things in just a moment. I can't wait to hear it. It was passed in 2010 when your father was the governor and signed that into law that created this loophole. I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think anybody did it on purpose. But what we learned because of Black Jewel is the fact that it, it exists. And I have been leading the charge on the fact and indeed been working with legislators to ensure that in this next session we close that loophole so that there will be a mechanism, so that there will be accountability, and so that this kind of thing will not happen again in the future. Mr. Bashir, I believe that a governor should always put our families above the out-of-state CEOs. And this governor entirely failed to protect those black jewel miners. We had over 200 miners for over a month standing on railroad tracks because they had worked for more than three weeks of hard, dangerous work that they weren't paid for. 
but there was a state law that was supposed to protect them, a bond that would have paid them for every single minute of their work. And let me tell you, there's no loophole. It assigns to the labor cabinet the duty to enforce it. And what does that mean? You're supposed to go out and do it. When they said that there was no way to know which companies were out there and which ones owed a bond, my office found out in less than 48 hours simply through some internet searches and an open records request. But this governor originally denied even knowing the law existed, and that was a lie. Because the year before, they had tried to repeal this law, side with the out-of-state CEO, and not protect our minors. This was an intentional refusal to protect our families, and it's a reason that Matt Bevin cannot be reelected. I will say this, here's the thing. I'm the only one that, you go back, you go down there to Harlan County, you ask the judge executive in Harlan County, you ask the magistrates in Harlan County, you ask those coal miners that stood on that track for all these weeks, who went down there and spent time with them? Who do they believe in? Who will they vote for? You're gonna find out very quickly who that is because I'm the only one that has fought for them. They're going to get what was given to them, but this law that you talked about, your father didn't apply it because it was passed under his law. There was no mechanism. There will be now, which is why we're fighting to fix it. They will get everything they had coming to them. It should not have happened in the way that it did. And I will say this, you keep attacking out-of-state CEOs. Who do you think is gonna come in and provide the resources that we need? Nucor, UPS, Toyota, Mr. Uh, Bevin, Ford, we're gonna GM, move on. every Mr. one Bashir, of them. You, they you have, have out-of-state CEOs. Mr. Bevin, I mean, Mr. Bashir, give me a moment to respond. I met with those black jewel miners, but I didn't do it for the cameras. I met with them in a closed-door meeting. We talked to them. We, we talked to them about the challenges they were facing. I even put part of my staff into negotiating with creditors because they owed money to various people and couldn't pay it because they had not had their wages paid to them. I worked individually with them to try to help them get by and talk to them about the challenges that they faced. You know, when you truly care about our families, you make sure no one is ever in this situation. And by the way, his labor cabinet figured out how to enforce the law. They simply sent some letters. It was that easy. If you're just happening by here on the half hour, you are watching the Kentucky debate from the <laughs> University of Kentucky, and it is lively tonight sure as uh, we have our, uh, the candidates here tonight to Matt Bevan and uh, Andy Bashir, and we're having an enjoyable oh, evening. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, very lively indeed. <laughs> and we mark, continue. Gentlemen. All right, next question is a student-generated uh, question, came from one of the students here at the UK. With the right-to-work law in place in Kentucky, uh, what will you do now to ensure that blue-collar workers, wages, benefits, and workplace safety are still a top priority uh, to be enforced by state government? And uh, Mr. Bashir uh, answers first. I believe in the dignity of work, that if you work a job uh, and a hard week, that you ought to be able to make enough to raise your family working just that one job. But for so many Kentuckians, we're falling further and further behind as wages are stagnant, but our bills go up every month. It's like my friend Laura, who's here tonight, who teaches all day long and then has to drive an Uber at night, and that is wrong. People should not have to have that second job after teaching just to pay the bills. I am against this governor's uh, so-called right to work for less that was passed, and I'll work to repeal it. I'm against uh, their repeal of the prevailing wage. I'm against his stripping the OSHA board that's supposed to protect our workers. I'm against the fact that his labor cabinet didn't investigate one workplace fatality for the first three years he was in office. Folks, I'm gonna create a labor cabinet that doesn't spend time trying to investigate and find teachers, but protects those black jewel miners, does its job. Please, Mr. Bevin, your response. 
Part of the operative part of the question is what are we going to do for workforce safety? What are we going to do to ensure that wages are increased? The workforce in Kentucky is as safe as it's ever been in recent decades. Based on the number of incidents, based on the number of deaths on the job, we have focused on this like never before under previous labor cabinets. As it relates to wages, what makes wages go up? Not the government dictating it. It's competition for people. It's the ability to people to have the skills and the things that they need in order to be able to compete, in this case, in the 21st century workforce. Interestingly, the states in which union membership, which was part of the question here, and what's going to be done for those with skilled trades, the states in which union membership are growing, and there's only a few in America in which that's the case, every one of them is a right-to-work state. Why is it? Not because it's a right-to-work state, but because when it is a right-to-work state, more businesses will come there, invest there, and hire people. And when they do, there are jobs for union and non-union workers alike. We need skilled trades. I've invested hundreds of millions of dollars since I've been governor in training people for skilled jobs that exist in Kentucky and in America. Mr. Bashir, a quick response. Creating the next generation of jobs, one that are going to exist uh, in an economy that is rapidly changing, has to be about vision, not just more of the same. It's time we invest in areas like Agritech, one of the fastest growing areas in the world, where we can create six-figure jobs all across Kentucky and not just in a couple of large cities. It's time that we focus on advanced manufacturing and robotics and AI, so there are jobs waiting for people who are losing their jobs on a line right now. And it's time that we fully commit to health care, one of the fastest growing areas of our national economy. Let's actually lead. What is Agritech? What are these fabled six-figure jobs that you're talking about? Give us examples of, of what people are going to do in agriculture. It's everything from the science in the sea, developing the seed that can withstand that flood we're seeing in the Midwest. It's the data analytics so we can uh, predict the weather patterns that are constantly changing. It's a technology on the tractor that helps you go in a perfectly straight line and analyzes every inch of soil as you go. So it's, the question, it's the drone that helps you to uh, make sure you can manage an acre and not just a field. We've got to increase yeah. our food supply 70% in the next 30 years just to feed the world's growing population. We're and investment grew 80%. We've had three minutes from him. Let me say this. These are agritech jobs I'll that you're promising. I was just answering the question. You're, no, you're not answering the question. The question is, what are we going to do for people who are in our skilled trades and for unions? And you're talking about things for which these people have neither training, nor are there any unions whatsoever representing those things you've just mentioned. I thought your there question was, none. what was agritech? There are none. And so the question is this. No, my point is, you're talking Hold about on. things. You're offering a solution to something that's not a solution to the question that was asked. Okay, well, we have another question about jobs here. Okay. So we can stay on this topic here. There are thousands of job openings in the state that currently cannot be filled, many of these in the urban areas. How do we match skills with job requirements and attract and retain young professionals to our state? Mr. Bevan? Again, doing the things that we've done since I've been governor. We've done several things, not the least of which is take $100 million and say to the local high schools, local post-secondary school, and the business community, work together and compete for some of those dollars. The state will not pay 100% of your idea. You need local dollars, local investment to get engaged. And indeed, we had $540 million worth of applications for $100 million. And so the state put up $100 million. Private sector put up nearly $150 million. And in the last three years, we've put $250 million into workforce training for jobs in the urban and rural communities across this state. We looked at which areas we have the greatest need, healthcare, IT, 
We looked at construction trades, we looked at logistics, and we looked at advanced manufacturing. More than 100,000 open jobs, urban and rural, in those areas. And we've said, you apply for whatever financial aid you can get, and the state will pay the difference between what you're eligible for, no matter your need, and the cost of that for up to two years for certifications, for training, and or degrees to make sure that you are prepared and ready for jobs that exist and are looking to hire people right now. These are not hypothetical. These are things we're doing right now in Kentucky. Mr. Bashir. Well, I think the question showed that there's a problem, that we're not filling these jobs, and this governor's response is, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Folks, I believe in vision. I believe that we have to create the workforce of the future by stopping this fight between vocational and technical education and four-year college degrees. The fact is, we don't have enough kids in Kentucky getting either, and it's time we get every single child into one of those two paths. To do that, we can't just be talking to our high schoolers. We've got to get down into our middle schools. And we've got to talk not just to our students, but to their parents about the amazing types of jobs that are out there. To give people exposure into what type of jobs there are and how much that they pay. It's about investing in our classrooms because our teachers are preparing students for jobs that don't even exist. So funding for public education, absolutely critical to creating that workforce. I believe that our teachers are the original job creators. Here's what I'll say. You mentioned, you mentioned keep doing what we're doing. Everything that I said in my one minute was things that had never been done before in the history of Kentucky. I'm doing things that have never been done. We've taken dual credit training, which has increased by 75% year on year in the last three years, and we're no longer saying it's only applicable to two and four year degrees. It's actually applicable to getting things like welding certificates, getting your CNA certification, or whatever the case might be. It's about rethinking the way in which we meet the workforce where it is and not keep lying to people about how a four-year degree is going to be the ticket to all your desires in life because increasingly that isn't necessarily true. Mr. Bashir, quick response. Sure. In the last year alone, over 70 counties saw their unemployment increase. They certainly don't believe what we're doing is working. More than 82% of jobs this governor claims have been created and his administration have been in just two cities. And while I support those cities, I believe that every single area of this Commonwealth deserves good jobs. That's why I am focused on Agritech, because we can create jobs all over Kentucky, where people can grow up in their communities and work great job in those communities. They don't have to leave. They can choose to stay Thank and you. raise their families right, all right. there. Thank you, Senator. I want to counter, I want to counter the Quickly. lie that was just said. Let me, this is important. Number one, understand something. Oh. The lowest unemployment Kentucky has ever seen in history is right now. And these, I don't know if you're aware of the fact, but they measure this every month. And on any given month, unemployment does go up and down in different counties. But for the first time in the history of Kentucky, every single county in our state has single-digit levels of unemployment. We have more people going to work ever right. than in Time. the history of our state. We're gonna, please, next question. The, uh, the Kentucky crime rate and violent crime rate in Kentucky are below the national average, and uh, both rates are declining uh, in Kentucky, and uh, you can both be proud of that, uh, certainly in the capacities in which you currently serve. And yet our jails are overcrowded and are unable to fully serve the needs of those who are imprisoned there. Uh, many of our counties are having woeful budget uh, problems as a result. Uh, what is the solution? We begin with Mr. Bashir. Well, as your Attorney General, I've worked hard every day to protect our families. 
I'm proud that our Attorney General's office has nearly tripled the number of child predators we've removed from our communities. And last year, we arrested more human traffickers than any two or three year period in our history. But the question on, on jail overcrowding is a real problem. And the, the driving cause behind it is addiction. Addiction is driving so many folks uh, into that system that aren't violent, yet we are sending them places that make them violent. We've got to make sure that if you are arrested for a possession crime or ultimately a nonviolent crime that is driven by addiction, we don't send you to jail, we send you to treatment. I've been honored to help fund and oversee the rocket docket here in Kentucky that gets people immediately into treatment and out of the criminal justice system. It saved us tens of millions of dollars every single year. But I tell you what, unlike this governor, I will never support private prisons. We will close the private prisons that he has opened in my term as governor because it is our duty to ultimately uh, take that role. Mr. Bevan. These prisons you refer to were largely opened under your father. I think that's what you're confusing with. But I'll say this. It's important to understand we've done several things. I agree on this. This is where we agree as well. In any, you go into any jail or any one of our prisons in this state, 75, 80, 85, 90 percent of the people that are in there are in there for drug-related uh, issues. We've done things with drug courts in this state, funding that I've put into budgets that has more and funded this than any previous governor prior to me. But additionally, we've done things with our state police where we now have something called the Angel Initiative. You can have drugs on you. You can walk into any state police post in this state. And if you are yourself or someone on your behalf asking for help for you, you will have the ability to be given help. You will not be charged criminally. You will be given exactly what both of us are advocating for. We do need to be a lot smarter about reaching out to people that are in moments of addiction, and we need to do a lot better job about interceding and not incarcerating our way out of this. We are not providing the services in prison that they need, and it's important that we make sure we spend the dollars where we can get the greatest return on the taxpayers' investment. Okay, let's move on to our next question. Will you commit to fully fund the school safety bill passed by the legislature, and what other ideas do you have to ensure the safety of our students as well as those who work in schools? Mr. Bevan? Yes, I'll tell you, I'm a strong advocate for that bill, Senate Bill 1. I worked very closely with these families. I still wear a bracelet that was given to me by the parents of the two children who were killed most recently in Marshall County. This is something very real uh, to our families. I'll tell you this, though. We don't know exactly what that cost will be or what the solution is. We don't. If you notice, when the bill was signed, we talked about school resource offices. We talked about people being there to provide. We don't know what that is. Here's what I'm a proponent of. I'm a proponent of making sure that every student, every parent, every administrator, every teacher, every coach, every bus driver, anybody walking on or off of a public school property should have absolute confidence that they are as safe on that property as any other property that they might walk onto or off of, including that of their own home. And that means we better make sure not only that we fund it, but that we're intelligent about where that funding gets spent and to ensure that we have not zones that are known to be so free of anybody that would counter a threat that people see them as a target-rich environment. This is not helping our schools, our theaters, uh, or our other public places where there's no way to protect. Every child deserves to be safe at school, and no parent should have to worry about their safety while they're there. Uh, these shootings we see in our schools tear at the very fabric of who we are as people. And while it might not be our children's school, I know we grieve with those parents who have lost. I also met 
with the parents of the Marshall County school shooting. And while I didn't go in front of the cameras, what I offered them was every resource of our office to help the prosecutors make sure that we secure justice um, in that situation and for those families. Now, this governor's had four years to fund school safety in a way that he simply hasn't. We've got to make sure that we are providing the funding for the physical plant safety. Our schools can't have four, five, six entrances. That's not safe. Each one needs the two doors that you've got to be buzzed through, and every single school needs an SRO officer. I'm going to treat every single public school as what it is. One of the most important buildings in our entire Commonwealth, filled with our most invaluable investment. Mr. Bevan, do you want to respond? I will simply say this. The, the statement that I've not funded, we're putting more money into our public schools at the K-12 level than we ever have in the history of Kentucky. More money per pupil and more in absolute dollars. And anybody who finds that to be a confusing thought doesn't understand that that's a factual, mathematical statement of reality. There's more money per students than any... Here's the thing. Please. Understand this. Understand this. This is simple dollars and cents. And those dollars, many of them are used for things, including budgets that have gone in to provide. But this Senate Bill 1, which was the original question, will we commit to funding it? And the answer is yes. And this idea about posing for cameras, my gracious, you're the poster child of this. Mr. Bashir, did you want to respond? Yes. Uh, folks, that, that's not only not flat factual because you have to consider this thing called inflation, but just ask my running mate, Jacqueline Coleman. Did your Coleman, father do that? Assistant principal at Nelson County. Under his budget, she had to let go of 10 adults in that one building, meaning the same number of students would show up the next year with 10 fewer adults. His budget cut all of their instructional resources. No technology, no right, new textbooks. Time. This governor has not funded education. Our next question is a student question, and it is this. Eastern Kentucky is facing a water crisis right now in, in many of the uh, counties. Boil water advisories are very common throughout uh, that region of the Commonwealth. And for some households, water is not available at all. How do you plan to provide safe water for all Kentuckians? The initial response is from Mr. Bashir. Well, just like access to health care, access to clean drinking water is also a human right. It's part of the infrastructure that's required not only for our families to be prosperous, but to ultimately bring businesses to places uh, that we need them to be. It's why in Martin County, we put out a report showing that sadly, Three separate times, uh, that group that governs the Martin County Water District was given a plan that would have gotten them back to a point where those citizens would be served. It's because of that that I've recommended the most severe response, which is to bring in an outside receiver to finally get them clean drinking water. I'm going to do what this governor has not done. I'm going to declare a state of emergency. We're going to work for federal funds based on that state of emergency. We're going to make sure that every single child can bathe in the water that comes to their house and drink from the water that's coming out of their faucet. Mr. Bevan, the water out, question. You know, you're going to put out reports, and that's great, but I'll tell you, while you've been talking about putting out reports, we've actually been funding this. We've been doing exactly what you're saying that you'll do. We're working with state dollars, federal dollars. We're putting more money into Martin County in the last two, three years than had been put in in the previous 20 to 30 years as it relates to this issue. And we're not allowing it to go to corrupt places as has happened under previous administrations, but we're starting with a brand new board of the, overseeing the water and sewer district, but additionally, starting at the hub. Start where the water source is, ensuring that it's clean, ensuring that the pumping is accurate, ensuring that the lines don't leak, and that we don't have bits in 
pieces of lines that are good in some places and not at the source. Start at the hub and work out with the spokes. We are addressing this. This is a big problem. It's as a result of many things, including the mining activities that have existed in these hills. But I will say this. While all the talk you have about caring about miners, you've proudly bragged about you voted for both Obama and Hillary Clinton, who've made it very clear they hate coal miners and coal mining operations. Quickly. Yeah. Quick rebuttal. Here. Please, hang on. Quick response. It, quick is, response. Wor it is worth quick booing. Response You're right. is that this governor failed our coal miners, those 200 black jewel miners. All he had to do was have his labor cabinet demand that bond, and each and every one of them would be protected. There's only one person on this stage that's failed our coal miners, and it's you, Governor There's Bevel. only one. Hello. There's only, there's only one person on this stage, uh, at least on this side of it, that voted for Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. That's right there. All right, we have our, our le le next question. Hold Thank on, you. please. Kentucky is just one of three states with an election this year. The first presidential caucus is just three and a half months away. Is this race a referendum on national issues or will it be decided on state issues, Mr. Bevan? It's a combination of both. It always is in an off-year election. There's things that matter. What matters to us the most here? It's jobs. It's our economy. Is there more money in your pocket than there was before? Is your family happier? Is there more opportunity? Is there more competition for the skills that you have to offer? Those are things that matter to us. But you can bet that national level issues are also Kentucky issues. The security of our nation, whether we put our nation first, things like the life issue, things like protection of our Second Amendment rights, the right to keep and bear arms, not being infringed. These things matter too. They can be called national issues, but guess what? They are near and dear to the people of Kentucky. So it is a combination of both. You will see this race be a proxy in many respects. This is one of only three races, and so issues talked about here are going to be talked about at the national level. And so I think it's important for us to focus on these and to be very intentional about the fact that things that we're fighting for are being discussed at the national level. And after this debate, you're going to see on national TV a bunch of people with some insane ideas that will cost you more money than you can afford and will take this country in the wrong direction. And one of these is the guy or woman that he's going to vote for in 2020. Thank you, Mr. Bevan. Mr. Bashir. Yeah, this race isn't about the White House. It's about what's going on in your house. It's those kitchen... It's those kitchen table issues that keep us awake at night. This race is about public education, pensions, health care, and jobs. Those critical issues to your family that if you are not satisfying them, you don't sleep at night and you don't reach those other issues. And on every single one of those issues, Matt Bevan has failed. On public education, he has attacked our teachers. On health care, he's trying to strip away coverage from 95,000 people. On jobs, just ask folks in eastern and western Kentucky, he's failed to fight for them. And on pensions, he tried to illegally cut the retirements of 200,000 public servants. With a record like that, I'd probably be talking about the national race, too. Here's the thing. But this, this race... But There's this race rebuttal. is about what's going on at your kitchen table. You know, and I tell you what, I will always be on Team Kentucky. I will always fight for you, and I will always focus All on right. those Mr. issues. Mr. Bevan, quick yeah. response. So, no, that was, that was my rebuttal time, so let me rebut the rebuttal to your own comment. Let me say this. There's not enough time for me to respond to all the lies you just stated. I will say this. One of the two of us will be the next governor, and we're either going to work with the president that we have in the White House or we won't. 
I've made clear that I stand with this president. I will work with this president. I appreciate that he's putting America first. And Andy Bashir has made clear that he will work to undermine President Trump and that he actively opposes the policies of this president. I don't think he should be impeached. He does. That is a powerful difference. And it is important for the people out there voting to understand you're going to end up with a governor that works with the White House or a governor that will fight okay. the White House. Thank you, Mr. Bevan. We are now going to turn to closing remarks. Each of you will have 60 seconds. So we drew for the order of the closing remarks, and the first uh, closing remark is from Mr. Bevan. You have a decision to make, one of the two of us, not part of me, not part of him, not part of us and somebody else. The bottom line is one of the two of us will be the governor for the next four years. Do you want to go forward, continue to move in the direction that we have been, where there are more people going to work, where there are higher wages, where we are doing more as it relates to changing the corrupt culture that has existed in this state, or do you want to go backwards? Backwards to the world, where people that work for this attorney general and his father are increasingly going to federal prison, who are being convicted month after month in going to prison. That is the backwards approach. Do we want to go backwards or do we want to go forward? I'm a military veteran. I'm a man who grew up in poverty, but I have lived the American dream. I'm a father of nine children. Four of my nine children are adopted. I care about these issues. And if I am reelected, I will continue to fight for this state like I would fight for my own family. And I will defend the Commonwealth of Kentucky on every stage the way I defended this nation when I wore her uniform 30 years ago. Mr. Bashir. Thank you. Hold on. The governor is, is right about one governor is right about Hold one it. thing. You do have go. a choice. It's a choice between someone who has bullied our teachers, given his buddies $370,000 jobs, treated state property like your state plane in the governor's mansion as his plaything. Somebody that bought a mansion from a state contractor at half price. If he wants to see corruption, he can just look in the mirror. But folks. I want to bring us together. Enough of this us versus them. I want to be a governor for all Kentucky families that fights for each and every one of you, Democrats, Republicans, or Independents, that believes that all of our families should be treated with decency and respect and actually shows that example as your governor. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Student Government Association, Great Television, and the League of Women Voters. The election is coming up on Tuesday, November 5th. The polls will be open that day from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. Please be sure to vote. Thank you for joining us tonight. And now you, now you can applaud. applaud. All right? <laughs> Thank you.